Hello, everyone, and welcome to Non-Canon Files number 25 of All You Can Hear Podcast. I'll be your host today, Patrick. And joining me today is my crafty co-host. It is Jonathan Lagan. And uh, today is our what, part of our quarterly anime reviews. We this year, excuse me, this episode we're talking about the spring release of anime, and we have six debuting series we'll be talking to you about today. And our first anime we're talking about today is Tower of God. It premiered Wednesday, April first, and is currently streaming on Crunchyroll. And it's about a young man who enters a mysterious tower filled with challenges in order to reunite with someone dear to him. What do you think about this show? Uh, I really liked it. It was one of my favorite out of this batch. Um, it's uh, I really love the animation. It's like that real sketchy kind of art style. Uh, and just the character design overall is really cool. Uh, as far as the story goes, like this seems similar vein to like an isekai but this one i don't like loathe like i'm able to buy the premise it's not a complete just like harem type thing yet anyway (laughs) but uh, i really like the concept uh and i would be very interested to uh, see where it goes i don't know if i would follow up on it i'd probably wait till a few episodes come back come out and see how people feel about it yeah because i know like you can always have a strong episode and it just take a fucking nosedive so. yeah like a very strong beginning and sort of the follow-up doesn't quite match yeah 100 percent. i definitely echo a lot of the things you said um the art style it uh really sort of catches my eye like sort of the the like the strong line work and all the characters and sort of the animation and like the very bold contrasting colors they use at uh, the very bold palette in, in any case it is like a very lush uh animation very fluid and i i, I it does sort of have like a, an isekai feel a part of me doesn't feel like it's quite an isekai because it's like an, it's not one person going to another world but like he but i guess he in a sense he is because this the main character bam he's transferred into this tower that's essentially like this microcosm in of itself mm-hmm. and he's trying to re- reunite with his uh long lost friend Rachel who's sort of she's sort of mysteriously transported to the tower as well yeah but with Rachel it seems like she's more like trying to seek it out because she because her goal is she wants to get to the top of the tower and see the stars because apparently where they're at they are not able to see it and it's kind of unclear sort of the relationship of this tower and it's very I don't want to say abstract but kind of it's more metaphysical than like concrete but I think that's one of the things I kind of like about the show it's kind of this it the setting is kind of this stuck in this weird ambiguity and this fluidity where they could basically do anything with the concept yeah because uh, once Bam arrives at the tower, he's met by the mysterious caretaker named Head-On, which is this unusual rabbit marionette-like creature with with a with a ball-ended staff that sort of leads him to sort of the vestibule of the tower, and sort of informs him that whoever reaches the top of the tower receives their wish. 
Mm-hmm. And but in order to receive that wish, you have to go through several challenges that are strewn without the tower. And it seems like each floor is like a world or a cosm into of itself. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I know this isn't necessarily an original concept. I mean, there's plenty of. Uh, even anime that have done something similar to this, but I, I still love it. it. It really, within the right hands, it, it can be this great source of creativity just in uh, outlandish designs. I mean, right now, I mean, it was just the first episode. We kind of just got underwater and then like a plant, like a grass field, like a savanna type thing. And, and uh, speaking of, of the water level, this is the main character's first challenge called the Great White Eel and the Ball, Steel Ball, excuse me, mm-hmm. whereas he has to get past this eel, which is sort of like underselling what sort of creature this is. Yeah, I mean, it's a fucking dragon. It's like this sea, like this vaguely humanoid <laughs> mermaid sea uh, sea monster. It reminds me, I can't remember which Final Fantasy, but it's one of the Final Fantasy versions of Leviathan. Yeah. Because it, 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 the best way to describe it, it looks, it has like a humanoid upper half and like a, um, kind of like a serpent's tail and like kind of like a, a, a pterodactyl-like head, but also, but also has like these long uh, flowing like fins like you can see you would see from like you know like a like a lionfish or like or like some of these more like fanciful tropical fish and it, the water and the beast is, is separated from the from the character from this massive iron gate and he's sort of like in order to progress in this level you have to break this giant black ball that the, the eel is guarding and so he's sort of Figuring out what to do, but he's he's met with a very uh, brusque princess and her assistant, her yeah. attaché. Yeah, and I, I was a little confused on sort of the relationship between the princess and her family and the caretaker. So, like, I don't know if I just missed something, but because at least the way their interactions went, it seemed like. The princess sort of had some level, and her family had some level of power over the caretaker, or or at least they have some sort of connection to the tower of itself. Because it, the way they sort of carry on, it seems like the tower it has like this semi regular occurrence where it will take in people into itself in order to like proliferate this game, getting people to get their wish. But the main character, Bam, he's sort of special in that he gets into the tower himself, where everybody else seems to be they were involuntarily chosen. Yeah, and it and I and it, it kind of seems like uh, his friend Rachel was too in a way, even though she was kind of seeking it out. <coughs> but just sort of like the interaction between the princess and the caretaker uh it seemed like there were just the way their their conversation interaction carried out it kind of gave this connotation of like not all the same rules applied to her type thing yeah and i could just be misreading that scene i I definitely think she has some sort of special case because it sounds like she's very familiar with the tower and it has been there before, but it seems like 
she's like she's able like she's been like she's been through the game somehow, but she's able to traverse levels at will. Yeah, uh, and, and unlike other people, I guess who have to progress step by step, like like they, they or floor by floor, or it's like it's a, it's a one way street for most of the other con- contestants, but she has some sort of special leeway. Yeah, and either way, she comes from some sort of lineage because she has this fucking plethora of uh, swords and weapons just at her disposal. And and uh, at one point, she... Uh, and it seemed just sort of out of just curiosity. She gives... Uh, Bam is the protagonist's name? Yes. Give, gives him her... It sounds like her ancestral sword. Yes. And, and apparently, she has never been able to unlock its power. But, you know... Given that this is an anime, and that he's the main character, and he's the main character, you know he's going to unlock the power. Who the spirit inside is a is a deity very similar to the princess, but in distinct in her own way. Like like they're both have this very cavalier and capricious attitude. Yeah, very very abrasive. <coughs> And one thing is interesting is that every com- every contestant has like these items that can be summoned or like at least revealed at will. Like like all the players have this like orb that doubles as like a camera. They're like personal like digital assistant basically called a pocket, which is this black sphere that will yeah reveal information when the time is right. And the princess she has this uh, I guess like this cutlery board of her ancestral swords that she can just uh, make visible at will. Yeah, and, and then also they uh, I don't know if everybody has one, but uh, her little simp bodyguard person <laughs> gives Bam this translator orb, because when they show up, I, I want to say they're speaking Korean. Because um, because like there, there's like very much a di- difference in the subtitles between what they're saying and what everyone else is saying. So it's like, okay, here's this. Now do you understand me? And it, it, I don't know, just like a lot of like, I wouldn't say technology, but a lot of, I, th- I think the biggest thing going for this uh, show is the setting. Definitely. Cause, cause this, cause we will say, speaking of the, of the Korean just a moment ago, this Originally was a Korean web, a South Korean webtoon that started way back in 2010. It's yeah. been running for a very long time, and this adaptation is sort of like a simulcast release between South Korea and Japan. And I'm, and definitely considering, I'm excuse me, definitely interested about where this series goes because it's been running effectively for a decade, and wondering like how how long the story goes and what how all like how like how expansive this like journey yeah. this mystery is which that kind of worries me about the show because th- there is an end goal in mind mm-hmm. uh and i think setting it with a finite amount of episodes to me i think like the show like even 26 would be too much because at a certain point you're going to start running out of ideas for floors so, who? I mean, who knows? I have not read the the web comic, so or the webtoon or whatever it's called. So, 
you know, I could be completely wrong in that aspect. But yeah, that that the fact that it's been running since 2010. Now, unless what they do is like they have like arcs with different sets of characters. Yes, like it sort of changes perspective or. It may be one of those things that it's been active for 10 years, but whether it's been running consistently for those 10 years, that, that is very that is a difference. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of things, you know, a chapter could come out like once every couple of years. Who yeah. knows? Once a month. I guess uh, what the least schedule is for Korea is, is very different. But I will say getting back to the actual plot, uh, the main character, he does sort of overcome the eel trial and progresses to the second floor, which is where he's sort of transported to a like a, a meadow, like a grassland. Yeah. And, and this, and I, I don't think it opens up, but it has like one of my favorite visual gags of the episode, which is uh, it's kind of showing a bunch of different people in this area, and they all have their different weapons. And one guy, he either has like a spear or sword, and he's walking around and he gets shot with an arrow. And then the the arrow guy's laughing, and then he gets shot in the face with a fucking sniper rifle. That's right, because uh, homeboy, the main guy, he, he lands in the field, and he's like, "What's happening?" And like some big strong dude with his sword is about to like mash him, and then like a girl on a hill just pumps him full of arrows, and she's like, "Heh," and then she gets blown the fuck away <laughs> by a sniper. It was like really kind of jarring. Yeah, just like that sort of like whiplash. I was like, "Jesus, this is this is." Bad, but also fucking hilarious. <laughs> and then uh, the the guy with the sniper rifle, he gets kind of gets uh, chased off by a giant burly lizard man. Yeah. And then this is sort of feel like it's the uh, the battle royale uh, for a portion of the game because they say in this grassland there are four hundred contestants and at a certain time they have to decrease that by half. Yeah, and then once they decrease that by half, all like those two hundred move on to the next level. And so the main character is now trying to survive in, in, until the time is up while also coming across like the different various antagonistic characters. We, we, we do meet what will probably be an, another essential character. He is yeah. a mysterious white-haired boy with like a business briefcase, but also he has a knife. Yeah, and he very much seems like the rival character. And any shonen anime, like he's like he's very like self assured and like aloof. Yeah, and it, I could easily see this as like at the fir- at the start of the show, he's he's definitely probably the strongest character, but then over time, the main character gets stronger and stronger. Because uh, the main character is definitely at a disadvantage now. While he's able to like get the magic of the sword to help him in the first trial, the sword's just willful nature decide you. You get a freebie this time, but now you're on your own. Yeah, it, it's very flippant <laughs> on how, on when it wants to, or I guess it would be a she wants to it, come ha- out. it has the appearance of a woman. Yeah, I mean, ultimately it's an inanimate object, but. <laughs> it, it can choose whatever form it wishes, and and I guess uh, because it is just an object and it has like this weird millennia old spirit residing within it, it can assume whatever form it wants to whoever it wants. So, and just one last thing wrapping up with it, we're sort of introduced to the larger mystery of the relationship between Bam and Rachel because we're kind of given like what we assume to be a flashback of a long-haired child 
trying to break through a stone roof within a cave. And then once that sort of ceiling breaks through, Rachel pulls this child out. And yeah. it sort of led to believe that that child is Bam. He's that they were somehow trapped in this cave for several, several years. And Rachel is the one, is his savior, essentially. Yeah. Um, it'll definitely be interesting to see how that relationship develops as the show goes on. And so, like, and why, and sort of like, why was he so desperate to get back to her other than just sort of like a life debt? Yeah, it definitely seems like not even necessarily a romantic connection, but just kind of this like friendly connection or like this blood person. It's sort of like an adopted family because yeah, we we don't know why uh, Bam was like sort of trapped in this cave and sort of like how Rachel was able to get to him in the first place. So we have like this uh, this nice like hook of a mystery on top of the you know the the. the the, I guess the uh, the strange universe that exists within this metaphysical tower. Yeah. And also one last thing, that fucking rabbit's up to some shit. Yeah, that that rabbit's a little nefarious shit. Even though he, I really like his design, even though it's very odd. Yeah, because like you said, he's, it's obviously shaped up a rabbit, but like the rabbit's sort of head is sort of featureless except for like a slit that goes across the entire face. They're except for like two little pockets in the corner, but it sort of switches between like grimacing I, fangs and like teeth. I a, mean, a glaring eyes. eye. Yeah, that, that, it's really weird. Also, his staff is really cool. Yeah, and and also, of course, he's a character character, so he has all the information. But he's also we're getting a tease to sort of his greater abilities because after Bam escapes their first level. <laughs> Um, head on the rabbit caretaker just completely obliterates the the sea serpent. Yeah, and it makes you wonder why why he's keeping this place up, and, yeah. and if he, and if he is the person who's basically running it, why is he wanting to keep this thing going? What what does he gain from keeping this up? Yeah, so. Um, but, but echoing your feelings at the start, I'm definitely intrigued. I'm not a hundred percent on Tower of God, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely like willing to give it a few more episodes to see where it goes. I will say, um, Tower of God, it is probably one of the more highly anticipated anime of this season because, mm-hmm. um, when it debuted on April 1st, it was like a top trender on Twitter that day. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's pretty easily accessible, at least in the states, anyway. So, so I'm definitely intrigued. Um, I'll definitely, like I said, I'll come back to it. it. May not be a week for week, but I'm like, I'm interested. Yeah, definitely keep fingers on the pulse. All right, and our next series we'll be discussing is Digimon Adventure 2020, which is this is a reboot of the original Digimon series, and it get, builds a brand new story with the Digidestined children. It premiered. Sunday, April 5th, and is currently streaming on Crunchyroll. Okay, this show, uh, I didn't really grow up with D- Digimon, more of like a Pokemon person. So, I don't know, I, I didn't have a strong connection to this one. I mean, the animation's great, I mean, and the monster designs are all cool. Uh, 
it, there was just a lot that I kind of just my eyes kind of glazed over. It was kind of hard for me to pay attention to this one. Yeah. And, and and I imagine like if I had any sort of connection to it, yeah, I would you know be more into it. But I mean, and it's not bad by any means. This one definitely just wasn't my thing. Yeah. But I could see people, and especially like a new generation really liking the show if it keeps up the level of quality like of animation and uh, and I mean for like a kid's show the writing's pretty good yeah I will say I am definitely on the other end of that spectrum I grew up with Digimon I, I still clearly remember the first day Digimon aired in the States way back in the the late 90s and so, then that fucking theme song like yeah like you know everybody remembers the, 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 the US Digimon theme song and and I got like a big nostalgia bite in the in the new intro where it has like a bit that references the old intro where like has Ty kind of twirling in the air like at like the very beginning of yeah. the intro where all the kids are spinning as they get sucked into the ditch of the world. And, and I will say that the opening to the show is really strong. Like, I mean, you can play any sort of guitar-driven music and I'll probably love it. Yeah. But even then, like it had this nice energy to go along with the visuals. And it definitely is more like character focus with uh, the intro. It focuses heavily on Ty and Agumon. Well, it obviously gives you the rest of the children. Um, it sort of focuses on them as the main character. And that's what I will say is maybe a a strength that this, this reboot has over the original is that it focuses just on, mainly, or at least mainly on Ty and Agumon as they sort of deal with the sort of insurgents of the digital world onto the real world because with the OG series you're sort of given all seven children their Digimon and then their Digimon evolution within the first episodes so it's like what 21 characters essentially that you're given to in like 25 minutes yeah exactly and I and I could be completely wrong, but it seemed like the first show was kind of made out, was cynically made, just as kind of like this cash grab to capitalize on like the Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, like portable monster trend. Well, definitely like Pokemon and Digimon are definitely not the first to do like, you know, a, like a collectible Pokemon, like oh, a definitely. monster gimmick, but definitely the ones that sort of like kickstart like really popularized it yeah especially in the west and it's definitely like it has, it has like a very like deep-rooted excuse me deep-seated like love i mean the american fan base and while digimon never quite had its sort of level of fame that pokemon did it's obviously it still has a very strong because it, they're able to redo the first season with an art style that's Pretty much exactly the same as the OG season. Yeah, it just seems like it's cleaned up it's, HD for the modern age. It's updated. And this definitely, to me, just the impression I got from it felt... Um, unlike, like, the... It, it's sort of like the My Little Pony effect. Like, and then I'm going, I don't watch the show, but this is what people say, you know. Like, in the 80s, the My Little Pony was just a toy commercial. Yeah. Uh, but... A lot of people love that concept, and then you know, went and became fans of it as kids. And then when they got older and were making shows, they try to turn it into this well beloved franchise that it, that uh, that has a pedigree of quality. And this definitely felt 
felt I could definitely kind of tell the passion behind it. Hmm. And I know that's kind of an intangible measure, but, uh, and it could just be like, I could be completely mistaken, but it, like, like I said, it just seems like the first show, like even as a kid, I, it kind of felt pandering, pandering to me. In okay. A way. And, and I don't know. And I could just be mean a little fucking asshole. <laughs> But, uh, but like, yeah. it definitely felt, like, more like a cynical cash grab, a, a toy commercial. And granted, all those shows at the end of the day were toy commercials. But, I don't know. There's definitely something that had more of a balance between, like, a, like a more sincere content where there's just, like, this is just designed to sell the next new thing. Yeah. But I will, I will say, um, like, I, I, did, I did really enjoy this, this, this episode. Uh it does give you the characters in a setting you're familiar with, but also it's not a com- it's not it is not in any way like a, a completely you know rehash of the original series because it focuses mainly on Ty and sort of in Agumon and sort of his for now solo adventure into the digital world mm-hmm. to fight you know the the growing you know viruses in there, and I will say maybe it's like a little criticism I have of this new series. I do feel fairly underwhelmed by how they sort of reimagine the digital world in this one. It's very like, you know, like pixely and like these sort of like sheer monolithic cubistic towers and like data streams, which seems very sort of bland compared to what in the original series that we had like this, you know, like not chaotic, but like this sort of mishmash of real world look like, like forest runs into like a city, runs into like a subway station, runs into a beach. Like these sort of like yeah. haphazardly attacks, you know, physical spaces because it's like this weird amalgam of of, of the real world, yeah. a facsimile, and an artificial one. So like I, that, that to me that is a bit of a detriment. And there there is like a little bit I could feel like filler in the episode where it's just Agumon like shooting fireballs at the viruses. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's probably why I kind of glazed over because there's not a lot that really happens. Because you because you get like the basic idea of um, they have to stop the viruses from messing up the train system because Ty's mother and sister on a train that's on a collision course with all the rest of the subway trains. Yeah, so you get that drama, but like you know, you also get like. 10 minutes of them just like shooting fireballs fighting these little like blob blob Digimon, which you know, which is fine, but it kind of feels like because they're only focusing on one character, it kind of feels a bit hollow until you get to like the big climactic battle where Agumon Digivolves and fights the big virus. Yeah. Which is, which is a really cool sequence. Cause it's, it's like, that's probably, that's where they put all their animation in where he Digivolves has this like beam struggle between the uh the vi- the, like the 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 boss virus of the mm-hmm. episode yeah and it definitely seemed like we have this moment but we need to save it for the last part like the third act of the episode yeah so while the, there is some some nice action i do kind of miss that we don't have like an ensemble that we like we get to interact mm-hmm. with like we did in the first series but maybe as it goes on we sort of introduced to like the next several episodes be sort of focusing on the next kid in the line. Yeah, and I could easily see them do that. And, and I mean, like you said, the first episode they introduced all these characters at once. So 
I imagine they were trying. This was kind of a way to mitigate the audience possibly feeling overwhelmed. Because it it would definitely be sort of hard to keep up if you're if this is like a young child introduced to a new show, and they just yeah. drop drop a bunch of human characters and a bunch of monster characters and just like. God help you try to remember a name. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, hey, I mean, kids are smarter than we give them credit for. I mean, shit, like, a bunch of kids our age, you know, fell in love with this show. So, I, I definitely feel like it's, uh, for me, it's definitely one I'm going to keep up with. Uh, not only because I just love this, the uh, the old series, but also they're taking it in a very interesting direction. Because, you know, spoilers for everything, spoilers for every first episode for every series we'll be talking about today. But also the, the the second episode preview for Digimon is buck wild because like they're essentially adapting the first Digimon movie to, for the next episode, which is like crazy. Like how are they? Go- <laughs> it sounds like they're going to do the exact opposite of this episode, where this episode's kind of meandering and padding. Had a bunch of padding. This one is just like fuck you, an entire movie in twenty two minutes. Yeah, because we have like Ty meeting up with Matt in the next episode in Garu Rumon. And they have to stop a virus from hijacking uh, intergalactic, excuse me, intercontinental ballistic missiles from destroying the world from yeah, America's what, nuclear silo. It's like, wow, that that is a high escalation of uh, stakes there. From him just like them messing with like the trains uh, rotation to like fucking nukes. And and isn't like the next episode title like War Zone? Yeah, or because something like because that. It's, it's, the second episode is called War Games. Which oh, is, War Games. Because um, the first Digimon movie is called Our War Game. Okay. Because like it's it was just like just like again crazy because they're adapting the first movie in the second episode. So I'm they're wrapping up real fast with this series. So I'm I'm definitely uh, intrigued to see where it goes from here. Hell yeah. And uh, the next series we're talking about is called Listeners. It's about a uh, a young boy who toils every day living in a, um, a squalid junkyard town when he runs across an amnesiac girl who is lost in the rubble. And this premiered Saturday, April 4th, and is currently streaming on Hulu. Okay, and this show, I like with Tower of God, I really like the concept, except... Unlike Tower of God, I'm not a huge fan of the character designs in particular. I really like the world design and then the ultimate mech design. Like, that that was really cool. Yeah. But it's just something about their weird round faces. It kind of is uncanny and it freaks me out. <laughs> because uh, this story follows Echo Ray, the, the main character. He's a, like we said, he's a young boy. sort of like makes a living, like digging through and finding like... Like spare parts and basically this garbage island. <laughs> yeah, basically this whole town is economy is based around sifting through the junk pile that the the town's built around, and sort of like the mayor of the of the town <laughs> really tries to like keep people down and like don't try to aspire anything other than what your station in life is. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the first episode of the Gurren Lagann in that way. Yeah. Except it's not as, it doesn't have the ounce of charisma and is not as fucking bombastic as that show is. But it definitely is that very similar, you know, you have to stay on this path. And then they meet this girl who disrupts everything and then they leave. Because uh, this girl that he finds in the rubble is, she's, 
very interesting in that she has like this like snow white hair and probably the most interesting thing about her is that she has an audio jack implanted on her hip. Yeah. Which is a very telltale factor of the mech pilots in the world, which are called players and their giant mechanical suits they call equipment. And Echo is very much enamored with the sort of the world of players and their equipment. It's sort of like this seems like this seems to be like a contest of skill. But also there is just seem to be like some weird power struggle between the 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 mech pilots and sort of the world at large because a uh cataclysm sort of fell the earth in this world where the mech pilots kind of started a great war, started a great like disaster, and that's kind of is what is yeah. responsible for why everyone's living in sort of like a very yeah, proper state. And even just like listening to you explain it, it really is a a little muddled because it's like, are these people like supposed to be like the, the, the pop stars like, and celebrities, the pop star celebrities, they are the heroes, but then they're like kind of ostracized at the same time. And I'm not saying you can't do that, but I, I know I was kind of like, okay. And, and it also, I kind of also got the impression that it might've just been that mayor because he, he definitely is the most, uh, he's vocal against the mech pilots. Yeah, and, and especially because the reason they have the mech pilots in the first place are to fight these fog monster things called the earless, the earless, or earless, or, or yeah, exactly. And it's like, I mean, without those mech pilots, those things would destroy communities, but. So it's like counterintuitive for you to be such a dick, but you know, I human guess, interaction, you know, people do things for irrational reasons. That's right. And because I guess the problem is once you give like a very select group of people an extraordinary amount of power, there's no telling that they'll do the right things with that power. It, exactly. And I think a lot of it just has to do with whatever this event was. Uh, one thing about the show I was surprised with was the amount of product placement from guitar amps. Yeah, because... Because, like, the, what ultimately becomes the Amnesiac Girl's equipment is a Vox amp. Like, it's like, it's a legit uh, Vox... Uh, name brand amp. And, and then I was, and then in the credits it had, like, uh, Marshall and I think PV and some other brands. I was like, as someone who's a guitar player, it's like, oh fuck, <laughs> that's cool. Because it just reminded me of um, another anime we watched probably last summer. It's about um, it, it, it was the, like the the uh, the gay baiter one, where it has like the the one boy who's like really aloof and he plays guitar, but he, he meets like the uh, kind of like spacey boy that also has a guitar and they kind of like become like a very close friendship. I don't know anything about that. Well, that episode, that anime had like a very, like very prominent name brand guitar product placement within the show. Yeah. And then Carol and Tuesday also had like Gibson and yeah. things like that. So it's like, what are they doing to get this product placement? And uh, we mentioned that Echo has the, the Vox amp because he, he was able to make that in secret from just collected straight parts. And sort of, he has to sort of keep a kibosh on his enthusiasm about the, the mechs and sort of the, the players because 
the mayor is like very strict and any sort of any sort of mention, however casual, uh, however innocuous, he sort of shuts it down immediately because yeah, he has his cartoon smash the so. TV that was playing the the mech fight. Yeah, and and, and then his sister uh, runs this like bar, and you know she's like, God damn it, because uh, she's able to uh, appease the mayor and his goon by giving them free beer, which allows. Um, Echo and the nameless girl to escape up the room and sort of like just get away. The girl is sort of like, she's very like, I guess feisty and like, mm-hmm. she's obviously needs that. She doesn't know why he's kind of getting all hot and bothered. It's like, Oh, you, you, you know, you're a pilot. You, you love these mechs. And just kind of like, I don't really know anything. I just woke up and I'm here to eat your food and bounce. Yeah. And it, it brings us to like the scene where like they, where she wakes up and it's the stereotypical, guy it, it's a misunderstanding i swear i'm not a weirdo but this is an excuse to get tna like it, is that very much that like harem or isekai trope where they like ask, i don't i don't remember like the context of this episode because it's been a couple days but it was like he, he was like looking at her or t- like accidentally i think he was uh touching her like audio jack because i mean he was just enthusiastic about it but she's like what the fuck it's like i, ne- I never seen a, i never seen that that hole before that's so cool and she's like oh she, yeah and it was really suggestive and i'm like <sighs> well there's, there's another sort of suggestive moment because like he keeps like this like pocketbook about the equipment player is like hidden on his person. And then when they go up to his room, he like, it looks like he's taking off his clothes. But yeah. that, that's where he keeps his book. And then she like freaks out. It's like, Oh no, you're trying to have sex with me. And it's like, no, this is my book. Just like, Oh, okay. I guess we're not having sex. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. That, that's just one anime trope. I really don't like, not even just because of the implications of it all, but just it's in it fucking everything. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's, it's just a weird thing where anime are like contractually obligated to have some like sexual innuendo situation like once per episode unless they get canned. Yeah, and, and like when Evangelion was criticizing that scene in the 90, like the mid 90s, it's like, why are we still doing this? I get, I guess it's because like, it might be the thing where it's, it's so proliferated that it's like, it's gone past like the postmodern, like (laughs) thing of it. It just just circles back around where it goes from, uh, sincere to ironic, then back to sincere. Um, and, and that kind of brings the show down for me to where like if this like if this show does catch on and it does have a huge fan base I might come back to it but I will say it is compared to some of the other shows on the list it's definitely not as like it's not and the fan servicey or like sexy yeah and it's not terrible like it's not bad by any means it's actually really good it's just I don't know it, Similar to Digimon, I was kind of like indifferent, apathetic towards it. And uh, we we do, we do get like a big climactic moment in this episode because um, the the Echo and the girl they run off to to the junk pile where the the monsters are attacking the earless. I guess mm-hmm. until otherwise they're called earless. And I will say the mechs in this show are very intricate and interestingly designed. Whereas the, the bad guys are just like these weird black blobs that kind of look like these serpent 
ghost mice. They had like mice like heads. Yeah. And like it, claws. Yeah, that definitely was not very inspired. And and it's contrasted to like you said the mech designs which like makes the, the just the contracts contrast makes the the fucking earless designs just worse. They're just really boring. Yeah. But like in the intro, you know, like with most anime OPs, you know, it shows the characters to come and a lot of like the supporting cast later to come, their designs look really cool. So it's like, I don't know. Like, I guess someone dropped the ball there. I guess there's, I guess there's is a possibility that if these sort of like giant mice monsters, maybe they're just like the basic bitch monster and there, and like there, there are more intricately, interestingly more designed bad guys that we just haven't been exposed to yet. That is very true. And I mean, and we're judging everything by the first episode and that could easily change because we've only ever seen the first episode of all these series. So whatever progress comes, you know, that's still for us to see. And, um, and, and, and the fight with, with the mech was cool because, um, the boy he finds like an ox cord sticks it into the girl's port and the box. God, that just sounds so fucking wrong. There's there's definitely some <laughs> innuendo there, of course. He like, sticks the ox cord into her plug, and uh, then then like the box just like breaks the laws of like <laughs> any sort of physics. Physics and it transforms into this giant mech that they both sort of ride, and she controls it because she's the player. She has the ox cord. But he sort of like hurts the support on the machine, and it has like the as a, I think it has a really cool I like this like white and silver design. It has like these yeah. big speakers coming from the elbows. They sort of like shoots like green energy blast from. Yeah, like I really love the the monster design and like the animation and the actual fight scene was really cool because the mechs are all CG and and, a, and and the rest of the series is traditional animated. God, I didn't even notice. <laughs> If so, we're being honest, I mean it, it, it's a, it's a in terms of like CG integration for a series, this feels very good. Yeah, definitely. It is. It's not. I guess it's not totally seamless, but like you know, it, it's 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 a more I w- I fluid did, integration. Yeah, and, and I mean that could be. I just wasn't paying as much attention to it, but it was like, oh, okay, because like that was definitely the part where I kind of perked you know, perked my ears up because it was like, oh shit, you know, actually cool shit happening on screen and not just this kind of like cliche, okay, we know where this is going, get to the good shit type. Yeah, just let's get to the the big mech fight. So, um, I think I, I did like listeners. Um, it's not high up on my list for this season, like, but I am, I am intrigued. I, I am willing to check it out. I'll definitely sort of come back to it maybe once a few more episodes have built up, but I'm definitely, I definitely like it. Yeah. So, all right, heading over to the next series, we have Operatory Bon Mon, which is about an eccentric uh, genius and a high-strung swordsman that are bound together in a big journey across the American West. And this premiered Friday, April 10th, and it's currently streaming on Hulu. I really like this show so far. Like, just, like, that opening scene alone where, like, I jokingly was like, oh, my God, are we about to get anime wacky racers? Because, like, it's it's anime wacky racers because, like, the the opening scene is sort of, like, a bit of a flash forward. You have, like, yeah. the main character, Apare, 
and his uh, associate uh, Kosame, and sort of like they're just like this steampunk, wooden and steel of uh, like race car, and there's like a f- and there's a few other like very individualistic characteristic vehicles all piled up like very extravagantly designed characters. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're part of this this uh, this big race across like, the American West because it takes place in America like a like an alternate history like nineteen tens America or like I got sort of the gist of like late eighteen hundreds that sort of area like late eighteen hundreds early twenty like early nineteen hundreds that yeah. sort of era because um there, there, later in the show you see like a shipyard it makes me think like Titanic era yeah definitely and sort of the so i don't know he's very he's very like aloof in a way that he's like very focused on his science and his creations and uh kosame is obviously his sort of counterpart his sort of his more grounded individual who's sort of like just sort of swept along and did like the he's very high strung type a and he's just kind of through just serendipitous circumstances gets wrapped up in this little adventure and and it, it, we uh, to start the episode after the uh, opening sequence it has sort of like you see all of these like very crazy characters like you have like this like cool hip-hop guy with like dj then you have yeah. like these mysterious like mariachi duo and like this uh ginger ambiguous character like a little sailor outfit i think it's a boy maybe judging by the voice and there's like a like a very freely dressed girl and they like they all have like very like wacky vehicles like you know one car is purple and has like a mouth and lips on it yeah exactly but getting back to sort of like that gender fluidity thing like the main character apare i think he he definitely is more effeminate and like when I saw it, like initially saw it, I was like, "Oh, that's going to be a cool female character," and I was like, "Oh, you know," I was pleasantly surprised because, like, he's obviously he uh, he he has sort of the um like the like the face markings I sort of associate with like traditional Japanese theater and kabuki. We had yeah. like these like colors on like under his eye and the corner of his mouth, so he definitely has like a a mishmash of like. Eastern and Western sort of apparel and sort of like presentation on his character. Yeah, and he just does his thing and doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> because like Kosame is sort of, I guess, strong armed into into like trying to get a rein on Apare because Apare is he's part of like a, a very prominent noble family, but he's sort of so focused on his sort of experiments that he's in danger of being sort of, like, cast out from the nobility. Yeah. And sort of, they're sort of using Kosame, who has, like, who is, like, very disciplined and um, has a high standing from his kendo school. They sort of, like, use that ability sort of to sort of temper operate sort of, like, more wild side. Yeah, because what's the the high-strung character's name again? Kosame. Kosame. Yeah, he's definitely more, like, tradition we must do things this way and there's this flashback scene because like the main reason he's apprehensive is because there was a little incident early on when apare was sent to his uh, school and he goes to you know they go to spar 
and Apare has built this like net catcher out of this kendo stick and it's like boop and I was like <laughs> you, you know it's one of those it's like I mean that makes sense that's one way to do it but like he he won but he didn't win like the the kendo way yeah the the honorable way and and it just eats uh all homeboy up so and then when Kosume has to go like grab uh operate after his last sort of big incident because he he he, he caused like a big wreck with his what is his last like scene driven missile it blows up a no, uh, the noble's uh, garden. He gets locked in jail. So operates just like doing the algebra, quick mass in jail, where all the, like the hoodlums and the riffraff are like, "Yo, you better." And we're about to fuck you up, and he's like, "I'm about to leave," and just unlocks the lock, opens the door, shuts the door, closes the lock, and just walks out. <laughs> and it just like can can't be bothered by the world around them. Yeah, and all the inmates are just so dumbfounded. They're like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> Did that just happen? And then uh, eventually, Kosame is able to uh, track <laughs> Operate down to his um, his secluded studio and 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 his like his his family's garden, and and it's full with like equations and books and contraptions. Because when uh, Kosame gets there, just this little doll comes out with like a with a cup of tea. Then it starts flying in the air and it explodes yeah. in uh, Kosame's face. Yeah, and, and then he's like, and Kosame's like, what the fuck, dude? And then Apare's like, damn it, it didn't explode on time. You know, gotta make some adjustments. And it's like... And uh, so, um, Kosame's like, just like, he's, he's, he's like talking to a wall with Apare. He's like, he, he needs to like, yeah. need to, you know, settle down, become more noble, be more humble, and then uh, Apari is just having none of it. He's just like, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. I don't care. Yeah, and it's sort of that frustration you you have when you're talking with anyone who's hyper focused on a certain thing, and that's like all they all their attention is focused on. And sort of he and, but at the same time, Apari has a, a different side of him. Like he does feel like no one understands him, and no one's willing to give them the time today to try to understand yeah so it, it it really his devil devil may care attitude makes sense and there and like you said we're saying to his vulnerability when they get stranded out in the sea or no it's when they first meet and he was talking about the, uh, this was the book that inspired me and it's a you know and jules verne novel and it's a jules verne novel about it, I forget the name of the novelist, but it's the it's where they travel to the moon, and that's sort of like his inspiration for all his sort of machines and science, and what makes Kosame sort of kind of break through that exterior, that veneer that Opry has, is that he prostrates himself before Kos for Opry, and it's like, yeah, you know, please let's let's try to figure this out together, and like as sort of like immediately weary of. Operate sort of like extravagancy. He is sort of, but he does sort of like, like he like you know, really humble himself to operate in order to try to make make something work. Yeah, and then operate kind of makes this offhanded comment. He's like, "No one showed me this level of respect before," and it's kind in 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 the scene. It's kind of played more for comic relief, but it, it does lead to you know that sort of interpretation where it's like oh well, that that's actually kind of sad 
because like you, you sort of get like a, a, a little sneak into the inner workings of both characters that op, the operate has a part of him that wishes to be sort of recognized and respected and Kosume is not completely bound by just tradition and honor like because someone of his stature wouldn't in his position wouldn't sort of prostrate himself so much to operate like that like he literally gets on his hands and knees and yeah, says like please to let's figure this out yeah, and then uh, and, a th- and a lot of like Kosame too is he's he has a lot of external pressure from all the nobles around because they're like, you need to ring you know rein this guy in or else, and he's like, well, fuck. I mean, <laughs> I mean, even though like his humbling is kind of motivated by like you know I don't want to like fucking die or be in jail, like <laughs> it's it still kind of. It, 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 there's still a level of sincerity to his character. You like, can, well, he doesn't want Operate to be killed either because, like, because Operate has, like, all these trumped-up crimes against him mm-hmm. that he's sort of like, this is, like, third strike, you're out, dude. Yeah. So, but a- after that moment, they they sneak down to Operate's, like, secret underground lair where he has his steamboat, his, well, his, his, his steampunk boat ready to, to get away, and then sort of as they sort of fumble onto the boat, his sister, Opera's sister comes out, who seems to be the only other person that sort of like given him any sort of kindness or, mm-hmm. or at least attention. And so she gives him her, uh, her, her charm pouch. And even though obviously Opera's not, and it's not the person that has a magical thinking personality, but he still takes it to sort of give his sister that peace of mind. Yeah. And so, but then like the, a band of, uh, like, I guess a militia comes up, <laughs> hungry for Opry's head. Makeshift police. Makeshift police, and they try to get a hole, but then the, the boat gets away. Accidentally, and they're, they're spun out to sea where they sort of ha- have this really funny drama of just like, hey, we're out to sea, and you know, I know you plan to escape, Opry, but do you have, like, any supplies, any food, any water? It's like, no, I just I just wanted to make this boat. Yeah, and he was, and and he's like, "Why do you not?" And it's like, "Well, I mean, I didn't plan to be strand stranded in the middle of the fucking Pacific Ocean." Because it makes sense he wouldn't have like a like a super detailed plan because he's so hyper focused on what the initial object is that anything that would make sense to sort of attach to it by like anybody else, Mm -hmm. it just completely passes him by. So like they're, they're they're stuck out at sea for days and days and days, you know, weathering to the elements. When eventually a passing boat picks them up and drop and eventually drops them off in uh, an American harbor. Yeah, which that that was a cool reveal where it was like, oh fuck, we in the wild west, boys. And it, it, it's 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 really interesting to see this contrast of like cultures because you have, um. Uh, you know, nineteen or like ostensibly nineteen tens America, where it has like you know, very like Victorian esque dress, where it's very suits and top hats and monocles and really stylized beards, and then it he, he goes like cuts to Apare, and he's just so fucking outlandish. Like got these big, like this big red hair, and with that's like, very uneven, and just had- like. He has like the you know the um the hockey coat on top of like messed up suspenders and a shirt, 
And so, like, so like, Apari himself is like a mixture of East and West cultures, mm-hmm. and then you have, you know, Kosume, who's like traditionally Rich. Japanese, mm-hmm. and they're sort of like just these two transplants in a in a strange world. Yeah, and I would I'm very interested to see where this show goes. It's definitely because on top of just like all the characters and like what like what sort of incites is the wacky race of anime. Yeah, because. I want to see wacky races, damn it! And like, and and, and plus, I really, and plus, you know, having you know the eccentric meets the high strong. That's not a new um, contrast, but it's it's still an enjoyable contrast whenever you see it. Oh, definitely. When you have like the two like polar opposites in um, thinking and behavior, so I'm I'm definitely want to keep up with this one. Same here. And uh, coming up next are. Following anime is Gletnir, which is a high school boy with the uncanny ability to transform into a mascot-like monster. is pulled into a, a dark and dangerous world after he saves the life of a young girl in a burning building. This premiered Sunday, April 5th, and it's currently streaming on Funimation. I'm going to be very blunt. This anime fucking sucks. <laughs> uh, it's just... Uh. It, it, it kind of elicited a similar reaction to me uh, as Darwin's game from the winter season this year. There's definitely some similarities there. We will say before we get too further into this one, content warning, because there's like a lot of sexually dubious content in this episode. So if that's something you're sent to, be, be, be aware going in to this review and to the show itself. Yeah, but like... Even beyond that, I would not recommend the show to anybody. And, and the thing is, is it's not as b- like bad as Darwin's game, but it's similar in the sense of it was, it's overly edgy. Uh, y- you know, really rapey. It's, I don't know. I just could not get into it. it and the. The the monster he turns into is like it's not a bad design, but it, it's so it tonally contrasts with the rest of the show in in such a way where the show is trying to be not necessarily completely self serious, but it, definitely it, a darker, grittier tone. And then you just have this like high school mascot kid that was designed by Hot Topic just running around with a fucking Glock. Like, I cannot take this seriously. It's just too fucking goofy. There definitely is a a lot of clash in terms of, like, tonality and design in the show. I will say it is... It is. It does have a very nice level of animation. You have the main character, uh, Shuichi. He just seems like a very... Run in the middle high school character, and where where there's he he's weird, but he's also really ordinary at the same time. Except this one thing where he can turn into a fucking mascot, and uh, that that's definitely a, uh, I guess a mystery to to into the show because he's able to transform into the monster right from the off. He has this ability that sort of it goes unexplained in the first episode. I'm sure they'll elaborate further on but he doesn't know why this is happening to him it's just sort of something that suddenly started you know this is his x-men power that he just turns into this 
uh, Five Nights at Freddy kind of mascot looking character. <laughs> yeah, and, and I could easily see this being like a metaphor for fucking puberty too, which is fucking stupid. Because it de- there definitely is like a very <clears throat> pubescent, like unbrained high school, adolescent sexual energy to the show because what the first moment of dubious sexual intent comes from when late one evening uh Shuichi notices a fire off in the hillside and when he gets close he notice a sort of abandoned warehouse is like completely engulfed in flames and he notices a an unconscious girl inside of it the sort of he sort of belabors the fact that what should I do? I need to turn into the monster to help her. So he, he transforms, scoops her up. But what the first I thing mean, we thought it, was funny is that you see you see a straight line between the open door to where the girl was laying down in the like, fire. Honestly, he probably didn't even have to turn into his beast form. Like literally like where she is, she's like at the entrance. Like he could walk in there, drag her out and be fine. Also like for some reason her like top, the top of her top is unbuttoned like her, the, her, and showing her, her brassiere. Yeah, like her her shirt is undone to the point where her boobs are popping out and you see her her lacy pink bra. And so like he's like, uh-oh, titties, but also like, uh, when she wakes up, what if the building's on fire? So like in another moment of just like weird, unexplained decisions, where look at this, it's a straight beeline from the entrance to the girl, completely not blocked off of anything. And he just turns around and just punches a hole through the wall to escape. Yeah, that is further than the entrance. And I'm like, what? Why? And on top of that, he's just taking, like, once he gets inside the burning building, he is taking an exorbitant amount of time, even for anime time. And I mean... To it, just like bol- just just sit there and sort of blade. What do I do? What just, do I do? Just like painfully ruminating on like the decisions he's making in this like inferno. And so anyway, he saves the girl. He drops her on the ground. And he's sort of like, "Whoo, good thing you know that's over with." And just but he's also like, "Uh oh, her boobies are out." And then this is where it gets really uncomfortable for whatever reason. It's like he reaches down and like pulls off her panties halfway. And th- but then and then he recoils. He's like, "Oh no, I can't do that." Which, this is bad. This is bad. Which I guess is a good thing. But like, why is this here? Yeah, type like, of thing. It, it felt like a cheap excuse to get TNA and a a very gross excuse to get one too. It's very it's very questionable why they decided. If they wanted to do fan service, why did they do fan service this way? Yeah, like, th- there's ways you can do fan service without it being offensive like this. Or problematic. Yeah. So, anyway, he runs away. He goes to school the next day. It's like, well, uh, she was unconscious, so there's no way she'll find me. And then, bam, bitch shows up at his locker. It's like, ha ha, I got your phone. We need to talk, boy. Yeah, and she's she was like, you know, she basically bullies him into turning into the monster because she was like, this monster tried to sexually assault me, you know, like a, you you would think a normal person would do, but then she like tries to, and but she also wants to either become a mascot 
or like be a part of this like weird fucked up game thing that the mascots are a part of because she has this golden coin that's connected to this monster because he doesn't know that there are any other monsters out there but him but she obviously is included into this bigger world and this coin uh is connected to like this strange vending machine that we started at the start of the show where you see an unseen character from their pov put a coin into the machine and a person comes out of it so there's definitely some weird trickery going on with these coins in a larger darker scheme evolved around them yeah so homegirl who calls who calls herself claire takes uh, shuichi back to her top floor apartment where she decides to immediately get undressed yeah and it, being it, very like coy was like oh it's so hot i need to take off these hot sticky clothes and then and then like they, they do a close-up on her boobs which is like her t-shirt's gone translu- translucent like it's a napkin covered in chicken grease <laughs> that is a description i never thought i would hear and hope i never hear again pat thank you so like a uh, homeboy's getting all hot and bothered by she like strips in front of him and, she's, and he's, like, trying to hide his boner and, and shit. And just like, uh-oh, this isn't good. I don't want to be peeping. And she, and she, she's dressed, but it's, it's still pretty revealing, like, booty shorts and, like, a like a halter top or something. And then, but she's, but the weird thing is, like, she's mad of what he did or almost did to her. But she's being very, uh, like, abrasive and manipulative to him. Yeah, because it seemed, and it almost seems like she doesn't care about what he tried to do. It, he, she's just using this as leverage. Like, like she doesn't like, like, like you said, like it's this is just an excuse for her to blackmail to him, blackmail him, because like she's basically saying, if you don't play along with me, I will tell people that you tried to assault me, and I will spread the photo of you turning into a monster. Yeah, and he's like, oh, no, don't do it. And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, another girl shows up at her top floor bungalow, and she breaks into the door and starts whipping ass. She just beats the shit out of him. Yeah, and she starts, it looks like she's starting to turn into a creature, too, or something. Or- because, like, she goes to um, I try to attack Claire, this, 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 this unnamed assailant woman. She goes to try to attack Claire with a knife, and then uh, homeboy Shuichi just, like, transforms into a mascot move, unseen, unhurt, and uh, restrains her. And then Claire is like, "Uh uh-uh, bitch, she ain't gonna get me. And she tries to, like, turn the tables on her, but then turn tables back, and and the assailant girl monsters out, so her her arms and legs get all, like, like, muscular and clawed out, and she escapes. And then, which I guess will lead into like the next episode where Claire and Shuichi try to team up to fight this girl. Yeah, and I don't care what happens next. And I will say, I read the first volume of the manga late last year. Just kind of like, this is weird and interesting because just, you know, a little, I guess a little bit of sport. Because like, there's a lot in this show that I think is interesting and cool. Like the whole like monster design and like, the fact that 
when she would she turns to a monster or mascot, Claire will what happens? She'll unzips his body and gets into it and kind of like controls him from within. Yeah. And, and but what makes it so hard to recommend is that there's a lot of weird sexual stuff and and like I said she becomes much more sexually aggressive towards him. Like, basically, like... And, and from what you've described to me, it's, uh, you know, off-air, it sounds like it was less than consensual. It definitely, like, he's definitely uncomfortable with the fact that she's being aggressive, sexually aggressive towards him. Like, like there's a point in later on in the comic where she kind of has him pinned against the wall and she, like grabs his dick and it's like kind of like forcing him to play along and the whole thing where she inserts herself into his body and makes him fight against his will is really sexually weird yeah and i mean there's nothing wrong like with having any sort of sexual content in anything no not at all like i mean we're all people we're all adults we love sex but like there's definitely a fine line where like, I, do I think the show shouldn't exist? Not necessarily, but like, at, at the same time, I mean, it is, it is, it should be criticized because it is very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's definitely, it's this will definitely not be for everyone, just in terms of like that alone. And spoiler alert, it, get, it does get very violent later on, and it's sort of like this weird sort of like quasi horror series. So. If I do recommend it, it's a very cautious recommend. Like it, you have to. It's a very. It's going to be very individualistic. How you feel about the content, in terms of violence, in terms of sexuality, and that's up to you. I'm not saying like it's like we said. We're not saying this show shouldn't exist or shouldn't be made. It's just this content isn't for us necessarily. Yeah, and I don't think it's really supposed to be for most people either. But like. You, you know, you you like what you like. You know, is your no, like no judgment. It's just it, it definitely made us feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it's it's not what I'm looking for in a in an anime. Yeah. Even as much as I love some of the other concepts, like if if it kind of focused more on the monster fighting, that would be pretty cool. But this episode seemed kind of just focused on like weird, sexy stuff. Yeah, and, and like you said, if it had more to offer, like, there there are definitely, like, problematic shows or any sort of medium I am def- un- unapologetically a fan of, but those things usually offer, A, either something that you can't see anywhere else, or just the the, the, the positives of that thing outweigh the negatives there's there's, a, there's enough to counterbalance what some people might find objectionable yeah and, and like like my personal example is kill a kill i fucking love that show but at the same time i understand there's a lot of very very problematic things in that show and i could understand completely why someone wouldn't watch it so the much the same way i caught like at best cautious reprimand for a gluttonier your mileage may vary for this Yes. So, moving on to our final anime of the of the episode is BNA Brand New Animal, uh, which is which premiered Saturday, March twenty first. It is currently only streaming in Netflix Japan. 
but uh, it's set in a world inhabited by humans and human-like animals. The the oppressed beastmen seek safety and refuge in a segregated city, but their troubles are not far behind them. Yes. Uh, speaking of Kill la Kill, this is Studio Trigger and writ and directed by the guy who wrote both Gurren Lagan and Kill la Kill. So you know it's going to be hype as shit. Like, it's just going to be fucking off the wall and crazy. But uh, it's definitely... uh, This first episode really got me hyped. I mean, I don't know if I can say anything smart about it other than that was fucking cool. (laughs) Yeah, because, like, the first thing I said after this was over was, like, this this was hype as shit. Oh, totally. And, And, I mean... You know, we we saw Primare last year, and it, goddamn, it was hype as shit. And when the, when the show opens up with a with a with a red hooded character trying to break into an ATM, where he sees uh, some thugs kind of paint over a poster like promoting human and animal, you know, I guess coexistence. Yeah. And so th- this girl who we learn is a raccoon, most probably a Tanuki character, mm-hmm. is stealing away on a boat, excuse me, on a boat, a bus, where the the human militia finds her and they sort of engage in, like, hot pursuit. Yeah, and she then, you know, right as the moment she's about to be brutalized and killed by this mob, she is then saved by uh, another... Uh, Beast man who is not a weasel but a mink. She very much wants to make that it, distinction. She's like she's very clear in her point. She is not a weasel, and so she um uh, she un- she unleashes her animal uh, companions a a canine canine animal and a boar as they sort of just run roughshod over the human extremists and just yeah. whip their ass. And then, but also, she's helping uh, the rac- raccoon girl. But also, she's kind of an extortionist. She, yeah, she's like, "I'll help you for you know some sort of compensation." Which, like, you know, at the beginning of the show, it's kind of made made to think like, "Oh my God, this is going to be you know this utopia that I'm going to where I can escape all the human violence." And then immediately, she is confronted with a lot of the violence of the beast people as well. So it's sort of like while it is a, a on paper a a safer city for beast humans to live, there has some very ugly real world uh complications that not everybody who lives in the in the land of sort of like animals is like it basically of the same mindset we're all in this together. There's definitely some self-centered individuals in this sort of Animal society, and then on top of that, there there's a scene with the mayor of this town talking with a, a human leader, and you know it's like, oh, I'm glad we came to this truce, but and, but the human was like, just remember, the only the only reason this exists is because I allow it. Y'all better not st- kick up any trouble or disturb the peace, because we're sort of we've sort of shown that there's a lot of human. Uh, and antagonism toward the beastmen, how they're very much opposed to them living in this and sharing the same society, and it's a very 
tenuous piece, if that. Yeah. It's like any, any like any sort of like rights that Beastmen have is sort of very fragile. Definitely. And it definitely like especially if you've seen like Gurren Lagan or Kill a Kill or Promare, it definitely deals with a very similar themes of uh being you know, marginalized and overcoming that marginalization with a synthesis, you know of, you know, working with everybody and not, you know, this binary way of thinking. So, uh, so and, and and that already shows up with the sort of main ideological conflict between old Raccoon Girl and uh, Wolfman. Yes, because when Raccoon Girl gets to the city, she sort of, is at first intimidated because all, cause all the animals are just sort of skulking in the shadows and they turn on the lights and it's just a bitchin' party. It's just like this big block party. Everybody's having a good time, and she bumps into this wolf man who's sort of who's crying, just like, "Why are you crying, man?" And it's just like he's sort of overwhelmed with the fact that beastmen are able to like live and and peace and have this moment of happiness, where so many are persecuted in mm-hmm. this world. So she's like, "Okay, he's a little weird, but I'm gonna have a good time anyway." So she goes around eating, drinking, having a good time. She bumps back into the mate woman, and sort of like just like, "Oh." I guess you didn't give you all your money. I guess you know you're a backhanded just like me. Yeah, and then she uses that as a front to where one of the Minx minions pickpockets her, the little raccoon girl, and and then raccoon girls, you know, trying to look for this, uh, look for the pickpocket, and she runs into this base. It's like this pillar for this giant like tele like. Like Megatron teleprompter thing. Yeah, this is this big structure that sort of supports this giant television screen that's sort of playing these different videos. Which is funny because one, like, there's a split second from one of the videos is um, a, another Studio Trigger series, Inferno Cop. Oh fuck! I did not, I did not see that. Yeah, it's, it's a split second. But if you've seen Inferno Cop, it's for free on YouTube. It's like ten minutes, and it's just batshit crazy. <laughs> It's, it was made for zero dollars, and it's inspired by the Studio Trigger team just playing around with Marvel action figures. Yeah, it was fucking cool. It's fucking hilarious. Imagine if, um, just to give you a sense of what Inferno Cop is, imagine if Aqua Teen Hunger Force mixed with anime and Marvel superheroes, and you get the gist. Yeah. This, that, it's that kind of like like cheap, like, you know, low-budget animation and just, but all the insanity. But anyhow, while she's sort of like wandering around in this structure, she sees like a maintenance man sort of looking very shifty and kind of like walking underneath. And he darts off and just like, what is that? And she kind of, kind of remembers she's looking for a pickpocket and hits the beam in frustration. And then the whole thing starts collapsing in on itself after a big explosion. Yeah. And, and you know, initially they think it's the little raccoon girl because she punched, punched it. She and- was there when the thing, when the, when the thing collapsed. Yeah, but then they, they quickly realized that it was actually the shifty maintenance man who turns out to be part of this group who's working with the humans. Like, because they're, they're like this animal mercenary group, and they were sort of paid off by human bidders to sabotage the sort of the peace and tranquility of the animal city. And the wolf man is like, he's very much 
pro beast man, uh, you know, humans and anyone associate with them, they're not allowed. It can't be tolerated. So he goes on to fight the 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 tree of mercenaries, a deer, uh, the the I guess the other wolf and a lion, and he just pretends to wreck shit. Oh my god, this was the fucking hype is shit. And you, you, we, it's really hard to describe studio trigger action because it's just frenetic balls to the wall crazy because like he's just tearing everybody's butthole wide open and just like kicking the ass it's it, it's so cool like it, it's it's studio trigger animation at its best yeah and a hundred percent and it's it's a definitely different style of animation than what it, they usually do but i really enjoy it it, the the color palette is definitely it seems a little more pastel. It's it's very like hyper saturated like uh, cyan and magenta, very like sort of like eighties laser sort of aesthetic. Yeah, definitely. And and on top of that, I really love all the character designs. They're just really distinct and. They just work really well. And I mean, it's Studio Trigger. They they have some of the most memorable fucking character designs. Because e- even like these the ancillary characters, the Batman characters are just like, there's they're, they're imbued with so much personality and just imagination that just even the one-off ones like still have a, have like an impact to you. Just visually, because like, even though the mercenary characters, they were a bunch of assholes, they were still really cool. Especially that lion. Because like, there's guy a guy who's, uh, he just was fucking swole as shit. Because like, he, because that Wolfman, he initially beats him and then like, the deer and the lion, they like, hulk up. And like, <laughs> yeah. the lion like, gets buff, he shoots out his claws and the deer like, shoots out his horns, his antlers and they just, he goes to like, round two and just like, Big crazy, just like <laughs> he then just like and then just proceeds to rip the antlers off the deer, and it was it was brutal in a way I wasn't expecting. Like he like he just like pulled no punches with these guys, and then um, he beats up the lion and the deer, and so the other wolf that makes this man holds uh, the raccoon girl hostage. Well, before that, the reason she's there, I mean, also you know. You know, she was like, oh, wait, you know, he's trying to follow the action. But then once she sees uh, the Wolfman just whooping all sorts of ass, and, and the Wolfman says that they work with human, they might, or they work with humans, they might as well be humans, and they deserve to die. And she's like, no, no, you know, can't do that. Not all humans are bad. And, and I really like, it establishes right away the two viewpoints of these characters and how they are going to clash later on. It's like you have the raccoon girl who's sympathetic towards humans and you have uh the wolfman who's extremely distrustful of humans and anyone associated with them. And but then in in a, in a moment of like heightened emotion, the raccoon girl activates an ability where her tail sort of glows blue and sort of engulfs the area and she's able to like retrieve the mercenaries from harm. And he's like, what are you doing? You're an animal. Why are you helping them? Yeah. And then she drops the bombshell. I used to be a human. And it's like, wait, what? And then, bam, credits. And, and God, th- this, 
like I, I will admit a lot of the shows we watched, even the ones I liked, kind of drug. Were, were really slow. But with this one, it was so frenetic, so fast-paced. Like, by the time it was over, I was sad. I'm like, wait, that was it? Like, we were already done? Because, like, City Trigger, they're known for speed and their fast pace. So it was, you know, 25 minutes, but he felt like it was 15. Oh, yeah, 100%. And it was just, ah. Uh. And they fit so much in that in that amount of time, and it, and it doesn't feel rushed at all. It, it doesn't feel rushed, and nothing nothing is wasted. It, it's perfectly paced, in my opinion. And so, like this is this is for me like my favorite of of this year of this season's bunch. Oh, a hundred percent! Like there's hardly any contest. And so, like th- this was this was so much fun to watch. I will definitely be keeping up with this. I will fi- I will find a way to watch it. Mm-hmm. And um, we 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 uh, like our roommates, who you know they're they're not as exposed to anime as we are. They don't so they're not they don't watch as much as we do. But even they were like, oh, y'all are watching this. Where y'all where y'all watching? Because I have to watch this too. Yeah, but that, that just sort of goes to the strength of the show. Yeah, and, and I mean it's already getting word of mouth. I mean it's, I mean it's Studio Trigger, like they're a really well known, established studio at this point. With all their shows, for the most part, being at least high quality, if not like fucking excellent. And definitely, like come with a lot of high acclaim and like, like a lot of like fan momentum. Definitely, because of all the series that I've that we talked about today, it's really B and A and to a lesser extent Tower of God that I've heard about. Definitely B and A is the is the the top runner of this season. Yeah, and and hopefully it will it will come to the States on like Netflix or something. Because it, it hasn't Carol on Tuesday came to Netflix. Yeah, now? Carol and Tuesday it's officially on Netflix. It's, it's been out there for a little while now. Yeah, so it'll probably take maybe, you know, six months to a year, but it'll, it'll definitely come our, our way officially that we can watch it and be able to support that official release. And um, I, I will say I do think it's funny, like the first like quarter of 2020 is definitely for the furries because between definitely. B-Star and B&A and that, um, that that game grunt music video, um, Madden Bullet. There's a lot of anthropomorphic centric uh, animal content for uh, for folks out there. The fucking furries have taken over our media. So, and um, we will say, even though uh, our fellow lads Colt and Wenzel weren't able to join us for this one, they were still able to give us their uh, their top picks, their top three for this season, and we did want to mention that. Let's see. Colts uh, top three for this season are in one to three: B and A, Tower God, and listeners. And Wenzel's top three were B and A, Tower God, and Apare Ramon. So, Dante, what are your top three for the spring anime season of twenty twenty? Uh, I'll go from three to one just to be different. Uh, number three be Tower God. Uh, I really like the concept. I really like the animation, the color palette. Uh, just overall design. Uh, I'll, I definitely want to keep my finger on the pulse of it. I don't know. I doubt I'm going to watch it week to week. Uh, to Apare Raman, just 
it, 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 the concepts is so cool. And I know I keep saying that for all of them, but uh, really interesting character characters, uh, interesting premise. I want to see fucking those wacky races. Uh, and I'll definitely be keeping a closer eye on that one. And of course, no surprise, number one is Brand New Animal. Yeah. For me, um, my third is a little different. Mine is Digimon Adventure. I have such a fondness for the original Digimon series, and this just hit a big just nostalgia button for me. And just, I love the series. I love the characters, and that this would definitely be one I'll be keeping up with. Number two is uh, Apari Ranmon. It's just as it's an interesting world, colorful characters, and just like it just there, there's there's so much like patent to just just that first episode that I'm like I'm definitely hooked. I'm down for this ride. You know, I want to check out all the cars, mm-hmm. check out all the characters. Like I'm yeah, I'm all the way in on this one. And plus, I want to find out what's going on with that Prince anime character. Mm-hmm. Because like, there's a character in a Fire Run that's straight up Prince. Like, you, you, like yeah. no joke, he is fucking Prince. Like the the former pop star. Yeah, well, it's definitely either this or listeners, one or the other. But there's definitely mm-hmm. an anime Prince in in this season. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a Pare Ranman. So anime Prince down for that. And number one, no surprise, being a brand new animal. I'm. I was just like hype as shit. I wanted to jump up and down after BNA. I was stoked. I can't wait to watch more BNA. It is just a blast, and I can't wait for the rest of the episodes to come out. Yeah, I'm probably going to watch, you know, tomorrow, watch all the, the rest of the episodes they have. So, definitely. So, I thank you all for listening. Uh, we for, for our spring 2020 anime recommendations, uh, feel free to let us know what you're watching, what you're interested in. We'd love to hear that from you. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe on all of our streaming services from SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, RSS feed catchers. We're all on all those. Spread oh. us around. Let us know. We appreciate that. Let's more people listen to us. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AYCH Podcast. You can follow us on Letterboxd and Facebook at All You Can Hear. You can follow us on twitch.tv slash all you can hear. And all of our Twitch streams go up the next day on our YouTube. And that's youtube.com slash all you can hear. So also, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Lost His Name. Follow my art on Facebook, John Lost His Name Art. And we appreciate you listening. And uh, Jonathan, your plugs. All right, my name is Jonathan. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, johnnyboy24, J-O-N-I-I-B-O-I 24, and at letterbox at John Odinson 12. Thank you much for listening. Take care of yourselves. We'll be talking to you very soon. Bye. Goodbye.